Welcome back, Wheatland community. This is Cross Reference with Pastor Luke Leduc and Dr. Dan Spanger. As you know, uh, this is the opportunity really that the church takes to walk through the sermons. And we've been talking with Pastor Luke about his work and also Keith's work, Pastor Winder, as they've been walking us through 1 John. So this is now, I believe, sermon number four, Pastor Leduc. Mm -hmm. um, and we are now in um, the middle of 1 John chapter 2. Uh, so this was, uh, I, I talked to a couple people after the sermon that I think this, this whatever pay dirt you were hoping to strike, it seemed to strike. Um, people seemed to be moved and into thought and trying to grapple through what, what John is calling them to do. I'm not sure. I've only had glancing conversations. So I couldn't say exactly why. It did, it did similarly to me. I think there were several times where I felt you really did hit pay dirt in the sermon. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of the, it could be one of the reasons why, and I'm not sure, is that this, this discussion of the world um, could could be something that's um, become a larger target in a sense. I think the church right. always saw itself as something other than, and then the church mm -hmm. in America thought, well, we're too anti-worldly, so now we're sort of absorbing. And maybe mm -hmm. we don't know what to do with this term, mm -hmm. world. Is it, is it a good place? Is it a bad place? Can right. we love it? Shouldn't we love right. it? So what what is John doing with with the world here, uh, at distinguishing it for us, or or making it something that's I say dangerous. Am I saying it right that way? Yeah, I think I, I think you're exactly right about the church's checkered history with this idea of the world. At least that's been my own experience. Um, so I grew up in a a sort of Christian culture that felt like they didn't know how to live in the world. Like that tension of being in the world, but not of the world yeah. was this thing that was talked about a lot, but it, it wasn't ever necessarily really explained very well. You knew you were supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, but you didn't know what that relationship mm -hmm. looked like really. And so I grew up where the sort of the, and I'm not trying to be just so anecdotal personally here, but to say that in that corner of Christianity, um, the world was a very bad and dangerous place. It wasn't necessarily a beautiful uh, and gifted to humanity sort of place. Mm. It was just bad and dangerous. And our Christian hope at that point was that we were going to sort of fly away from the world when mm. the rapture happened or um, whatever you believed about the end times. But the goal was always sort of to escape from the world. And so that's one little corner. And maybe there are others in our congregation who are familiar with that, or maybe that's brand new to them. Um, and then you go into uh, a reformed world where you have sort of this um, glorious quotation from the Dutch uh, prime minister. And now my, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Dan Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper. Thank you. Um, so, and then you come into a reformed world and you're building a Christian worldview and it's Abraham Kuyper whose statement is like, there is not one square inch over the world where Jesus doesn't say that's mine. And I've butchered the quotation <laughs> at the some level. But the point is, oh, wait a minute, that's a different relationship to the world than I was uh, formerly aware of. And I think there are dangers, obviously, on both sides of this, because I think the danger 
uh, not the danger, maybe a different way. There are pitfalls, I should, maybe that is a danger. Uh, there are there are pitfalls on both of, there are true things and there are pitfalls in, in, in both of these places, I think. Um, the pitfall, of course, that I know well from my growing up and my um, definition of the world as a bad place is it doesn't know what to do with human longings for the world and its beauty and the creation and good things that come out of culture, uh, you know, that the, their culture is beautiful, culture was created, the seeds of culture were created by God in creation. So the things that spring out of creation, right, are culture. And so that was created by God. Um, and in that, in that world, we didn't quite have a way to understand that there was something good about culture. Um, in the reformed world where Abraham Kuyper says there's not one square inch over which Jesus Christ does not proclaim mine. I think there's been a tendency at some level to maybe over what some people call uh, and have an over-realized eschatology. Mm. In other words, that that has already happened in a sense um, towards the world and and culture and so that um i remember at one point and maybe you want to talk about this a little bit because i know you've thought about this we've talked about it in different contexts if i'm remembering conversations we've had in the past but but there's a sense in which the church was going to redeem the culture mm. and that was going to be our primary work and maybe you remember some of that and and i think there in within that work and within that discussion there are good things about mm. that but i think there are pitfalls in that as well so all i'm trying to do is lay out a a little bit of two ways in which the church has viewed the world and i think there are pitfalls in both and what i was trying to do on sunday was help help us take a few steps deeper into thinking about um, the world as beautiful and good, but also broken in significant ways, in such significant ways that as we walk through the world, we have to be careful. And I, I use this phrase about, um, are we, now I can't even remember my own phrase on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon, but are we, loving God and using the world, or are we using God and loving the world? And that being kind of pitfalls on, on both sides. Well, that's sides. helpful because I think as you, as you're saying, and I think if I, if I'm even looking at now we're we've got very convoluted, it's very hard for us to know how to relate to the world. We've got mm -hmm. a lot of pressure to live in the world for social good. And mm -hmm. that all seems like it's a drive. We want to go make the world better, change the world, mm -hmm. fix mm -hmm. the world, love the world, that kind of thing. Um, and then others saying, well, I think the world's a danger. So again, it's gotten convoluted. How, and John John here though is, is speaking fairly clearly that the world is a great danger. So, so maybe for the sake of the congregation, those of us out here, how do we know we've yeah. crossed the line? How, how do we know right. when our good interactions with the world, enjoying a good meal and mm -hmm. carrying poor and yeah you know driving electric car whatever yeah. it is we feel we need to do yeah. when is it when does it cross the line into what john is talking about as a real danger to our soul yeah 
I think um, one of the things that I have always found incredibly um, stimulating for thought was a, an Orthodox theologian named Alexander Schmemann, mm -hmm. who talks about how Adam and Eve were meant to receive the world. And he, he spends some time talking about the creation narrative. And he talks about the world was always meant to be received as gift to humanity. And, and you know, of course, the mandate of keep it and work the garden and, and all of that creation mandate. But all of that was to be done because humanity had received the world as gift and had received it with thanksgiving back to the one who had given it. Um, so that whatever our relationship to the world was, it was always in reference not to the world or the things in the world as John might call them as ultimate themselves, mm. but to always deal with the world in gratitude toward the one who had given the world. So that we never are just dealing with the world itself, the things in the world, whether it's culture, whether it's um, food, you, you brought up having a good meal. Like we never glory simply in the thing itself, but we receive it as gift. And that means gratitude and that means thanksgiving. And I think that means that you have a view, uh, there is this, what reformed theologians have called the creator creature distinction that um what we are we even as humans we are part of the creation and that that distinguishes us from the creator and that our primary posture with all of the stuff around us is gratitude towards the creator never for the thing itself and i think that's the danger in my mind, uh, as I read the text that I see John pointing out is these things, when you love the world, you love the world without reference to the one who has given you the things in the world. So then it talks about desires in there, desires of the eyes, desires of the flesh. Des well, could could we say life. that, yeah, could we say that maybe one of the, one of the ways this gets confused easily is that we confuse the things of the world that maybe you're saying for the purpose. So fundamentalism in the past and it did good work by mm -hmm. you know trying to avoid the dangers of public sin and they weren't wrong right. about right. the kind of things that you know should we engage in them there's huge costs so but there was a legalism to it and maybe the legalism is and i think you bring this up about alcohol alcohol itself is bad um so mm -hmm. the things aren't and this that's i think paul even gets at this um a bit too is that but it's but it's it's not that they, it's not what they are, but it's how you think of them or hmm. and this idea, maybe you can explore a little if we say something is final, the things of this world are, are the final mm -hmm. end for which we're we're yearning. How is that different? So let's let's do some simple example here of and, and you're fond of talking of the taste of sea bass. So if I might <laughs> use something close to home. Yes. You know, it would you if, if you're doing it. And, and this pat phrase, we're doing it for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. We don't know what that means. So let's leave that off the right. table for a minute. But we're, okay. we're going to do this and we're going to enjoy this, the, 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 the sultry texture of the sea bass, if you will. Are we going to enjoy it pan fried or are we going to enjoy it blackened? 
Um, let's 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 go pan fried. Okay. Fried seems okay. always right. So, so, so yeah, you okay. have a preference here. <laughs> no, I'm fine with that. Okay. I I am no respecter of sea bass when it comes to preparation. Okay, so we've got we've got a pan fried sea bass, freshly okay. caught, and had eyes yes. on it about ten minutes ago. If that's there we the go. Yes. Yeah. So so now I've got this thing, and I'm 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 really enjoying it. But I want to make sure that I'm enjoying it not in a worldly way. Mm. What mm. what it does it change the taste any? Do I not like it yeah. as much? What how, how am I doing it? Yeah differently? It's a great question. And I think the, so <clears throat> one of Paul's big things, I, I will get back to the sea bass, I promise. <laughs> He's already but, drooling. You can't see here. You don't yeah, have that's right. video. But... Wiping my mouth. <laughs> um, one of Paul's huge um, paradigms for what it means to live Christianly in the world, I think, is this idea of thanksgiving, that all things are to be received with thanksgiving, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So I think um, the way in which, um, if we approach that meal of sea bass, and, and again, I'm going back to Genesis, I'm thinking, I think Paul's thinking about Genesis and mm -hmm. the way in which Adam and Eve should have received the world, should have received uh, when God said to Adam and Eve, see every tree of the garden I have given you for food, except for this one. Um, the proper response there should have been overwhelming and um, gratitude for what had been given rather than obsessive focus on the one thing from which they were um, asked to submit their limited human understanding to God's infinite understanding and to, to even at a, a price to them, humble themselves and obey. So if I'm sitting down to a meal of sea bass, I think the first step is to receive it with gratitude rather than to take it as my, um, my right or to um, consume it as something that I am entitled to. So that, so in other words, I eat a pan-fried sea bass. And I'm sure, Dan, when you talked about pan-fried sea bass, you were meaning sea bass that had been coated in Hal Sautry seafood breader. You weren't just talking about no, That's what I was thinking. Right? Yeah, sorry. I, I knew that. I mean, I knew that exegetically, that's how I should, <laughs> hermeneutically, that's how I should that's interpret right, it. That's correct. And friends, if you're not using Hal Sautry seafood breader, I do not, they didn't, they're not a sponsor of this podcast, but if they want to, they can get in touch with us, right, Dan? We're open to We're that. We're fine to accept okay, those, yeah. those royalties, yeah. No, but if you're not receiving it as gift, and if that's not where it begins, do I think the taste changes? No, probably not. I mean, in a real way, I don't think that the taste changes. Um, what was your other question? Is the texture different? You know, is, is there something different about it? How do I know? How do I know I've, yeah. how do I know I'm still enjoying it for the right reason? Right. The, and I think it all, I think in many ways it is coming back to um, the ultimate reference is not to the thing itself, but the ultimate reference is to the creator who created it and gave it. So then when I think about this sea bass that's on my plate, um, boy, we are going to beat this illustration to death before it's done. <laughs> I knew it was um, but, dangerous using yeah, it. But. But, but when I think about the sea bass on my plate, 
if I only think about this itself and how it is, it is for me and for my benefits, because if I receive it with gratitude, then a primary thing that I'm going to be thinking about is how do I, who have received this as gift, even if I went out to the Del Jersey um, reef site that's about 32 miles off the shore of Bethany Beach and caught this myself, even if I put my gas in my boat to go get this stuff, if I receive it as gift, then my gratitude makes me want to share that. Now you could automatically ask, well, Luke, where's my sea bass? Because <laughs> I haven't tasted it yet. And that's a great question. And God is still sanctifying me and teaching me <laughs> to share this stuff. But ultimately, um, I think it's gratitude. And I think it's not the thing in front of you being ultimate, that it is received with thanksgiving and always with reference to God. Help me tease out what you, I mean, how would that transform Hmm. Um, you receiving any sort of gift, whether it's sea bass or whether it's um, anything, uh, whether it is the gift of if if we like maybe in our next podcast we'll talk about sexuality. Right, it's right. the gift of sex. How do you receive sex? How do you participate in the glorious gift of human sexuality? not simply with reference to your own self in that moment, but as a, <laughs> this is going to get, well, okay, maybe, <laughs> but with ultimate reference to God who gives right. to be enjoyed and to the, uh, to your partner, to whom God has, are we going to have to rate this now? I'm, hey, it's I'm getting close here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, got to wind this metaphor down yeah, here quickly. Okay. <laughs> maybe we should go back to the sea bass. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to get away from that, but yeah, but no, well, but I do. It's about reference point and yeah. it's about humility and autonomy. Do I enjoy right. this gift as autonomous as something that I have made happen in my own life have that yeah. I have earned, or am I receiving everything that is gift from the world as from the hands of a benevolent and gracious father, which means if and I think this is, if I'm just rambling, Dan, cut me off. But <laughs> I think I think there's something to this humility thing, to receiving something as gift. Because the, the recognition that what you have is gift means that it has been given to you by someone greater, more powerful, more... I mean, there's, there's sort of an epistemological humility in receiving something as gift right. that changes your posture in the world. Yeah, I think that's helpful. I, I, I think maybe what's embedded in there too, and I'll go back to your phrase where there's, you've used several different wordings for it, um, but I think, and you could probably express it in a lot of different ways, this idea of using God for pleasure or using the world for God. And I, mm -hmm. and I think maybe one way to get at that is to say that the pleasure that comes with the fish is itself a gift and not the end result um mm -hmm. but but if but it but the giver the giver god gave that to us and so it's his patterns work so i can think of instances in which we find pleasure in things that in fact are not godly and we could easily say well if mm -hmm. i find pleasure in it this is a gift from god but the, right. the reality is the pleasure right. itself we receive is not ultimate that the pleasure is a consequence of god's love and so do we actually see those pleasures as a way of actually getting back to god I, there's a uh, he has a book, Bradley Green Gospel in the Mind, in one of my classes. And he has this really great quote, and it's very Augustinian. And he says, he says, um, 
everything, um, everything in the world is to be used for love of God. Mm. Um, and that's the whole point to why. So, and I think I would think, okay, that's why we have tools and jobs. Mm -hmm. No, that's mm -hmm. why they're sea bass. And that's why they're sex is because yes. God has given all of this as a gift so that we might come to know him better. And so when we go outside his law and we find pleasure, we're now making pleasure the goal and right. not God, the goal mm. and he's, he's given us. I, I think that gets into what your statement about using the world. Yes. And right. And yeah. And I think what I was trying to get at with that, and I, I realized I didn't unpack it in that moment, just because I felt like it would have been too digressionary. Although, you know me, I'm never afraid of a good digression. <laughs> Those rabbit trails always look attractive. Yeah. But, but I think what I was trying to say is that it, it's, there is an un, our relationship to God is either we worship and, re and we receive the life and the world that he's given as gift, or we put ourselves back in Adam and Eve's position in their fallen state where, where God is our peer, or we're attempting to make God our peer. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's what I was trying to, I, I think there's stuff there under the surface about using God means that, again, he is not our sovereign Lord and creator, but now he becomes one of the tools for which we use him and his gifts to fill up our own desires, whether it's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And that's sort of how I was thinking about how we use God and worship the world. And by the world, I meant we worship our own pleasure, our own desires, that sort of thing. Yeah, could it could it be said, and this is what I'm feeling in our culture now, is that there's, and I, and I think this is very helpful what you've done for us in this regard, is that there's a lot of anxiety that there's a desire I so badly want and I'm not going to get it. And mm. um, I've been wired this way, geared this way, whether sexually, whether it comes to the adventure I've always wanted to have, the lifestyle I've wanted to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seems like there's a lot of anxiety that I've got this one chance before my life gets away from me to have yeah. something I really want. And 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 I think what what you seem to be saying, if I can if I can sort of project where you're headed, and I think you got at this a little bit too when you call it about chasing after vapors, mm -hmm. is that on their own, if they're not referenced to God then we're anxious about nothing here because what we're pursuing are very temporary transient things that are going to come and go like the wind um, mm. rather than mm -hmm. seeing these as, and I always stained glass window is my metaphor a lot that the, that the stained glass window refracts the sunlight. But if you take the sunlight away, stained glass mm. window is just a, just a right. rubble of glass. So, so is, is that it, that, that, that we've just, we've, we're anxious to get this pleasure in. We don't realize that's in service to something larger. Mm -hmm. We've, we've turned it into an end. Rather yeah, than exactly. And I think that's, I think that's where John is ultimately going in, in this idea about the world passing away. Um, but the, whoever does the will of God abides mm. forever. Like if, if we, um, and, and I think it's this future referent, this Thanksgiving to God, this, this reference to God as creator, this idea um, that there is actually a new world that's coming that will be transformed uh, from this, that this world will be transformed and there will be a new world in which we very much will find all that 
creation, all of these, all of our desires that we make, um, that we're drawn toward making ultimate now, will actually be consummated in God's new world, which you, John, is saying are in danger of missing if you make these things ultimate in, in these moments, because it's this world that's passing away and giving way. These are all training our longings for something else. These are all sharpening our desires for God's new world in which all of your all of what it means to be human in relationship with God will be lived out face to face in, in God's new world. But I, um, so can yes. I, can, I, can I go back there? Cause I, that's really helpful. Cause I think, I think for me, that answers, answers a lot of the anxieties if to say what God, and you said this, you said that we were all been giving an appetite for loving and being loved that mm -hmm. that's very natural, normal. It's human. No animal mm -hmm. has that. Nothing in the universe has it right. really, but, but us. And so we are gifted with that appetite that God is saying you're only going to partially fill now. And I wonder for many of us, whether we can consent to that intellectually, yeah. but we just can't commit our lives to saying I'm okay doing without, because I know full well that the good giver of gifts is going to fulfill this in another time. And even now the good meal is just really a, a poor shadow hmm. of the wedding feast and sex is really great, but it's really just a poor shadow of what God is going to do. Right. And if we don't have that, if we don't have that linkage, from what is now really, no matter how wonderful a poor shadow of what's ultimate, then we get very anxious that we're losing our last chance to have. Yeah. But now. And, and I think if you're, to pick up on your language, if you're missing that linkage to the promise of God yeah. to restore us and all things, if you're missing that linkage, all you actually have is a maddening, a, a, a maddening world. Because none of I don't of it, think you're wrong about that. Yeah, right. That's not because, hard to see. Because I think uh, what we're finding is one sea bass tastes like I desperately need another one. <laughs> you, you know, that's that's what it that's what that that's what that sea bass tastes like to me. Um, and it's that way with everything, with all of our desires. And that, as as I was trying to get at in the sermon, is because we have capacious appetites. I mean, we are people who were meant to hunger, mm. and um, and I think that's uh, okay. So now I'm digressing into um, stuff that I've talked about before, but I think that's why fasting is so important in the life of the Christian. Like, if we're not practicing fasting, how are we going to ever come face to face? with our, well, okay, I'm being a little dogmatic here, but fasting is an important, let me be more measured. Fasting is an incredibly important and physical, and by the way, something that Jesus practiced in his own life over and over, a way that we as Christians come face to face with our hungers and our desires and meet them and discover what it is we're truly hungry for. And, um, and I think that that's, I mean, food is a physical way to do that. But I think like what you're talking about, you could spread that out into other areas of your life, whether it's, um, you know, sexual, whether it's social, whether there, there are these other places that it is really important for us to come face to face with what it, with our hunger. And, and sit with that. And there's a lot of good stuff that's been written on that. I'm not an, an expert or an authority on that, but. Well, let me, cause, cause you, you made this statement. I forget who you quoted from, which is um, that there's no future in worldliness. Yeah. Colin Cruz. 
that was, that was really help, helpful and uh, really insightful because I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because I think the worldly the worldly stuff, which is beautiful, is beautiful for a reason. The reason is God. The reason mm. is not the sunset itself nor the sea bass. The reason is God, mm -hmm. and God is eternal, and yeah. His kingdom is eternal. And so He wants you to to enjoy these so that I think, as you said, you might cultivate the hunger. Mm. Mm -hmm. that only he can satisfy right. rather than being anxious that we're not getting the next sea bass right. once we've eaten this yeah one. yeah it's like behind all of this beauty is an infinitely more beautiful yeah. and creative and loving so behind all of the love that mm -hmm. you're so hungry for is this infinitely loving and personally invested yeah yeah it's gorgeous i love it's just that. lovely and, and and now now you you were laying that out and you drew it a little deeper when you when you actually stated that these are more than just appetites; they're also identities, right? Mm, and I, can mm -hmm. you can you because I you you were talking. I know in the poetry piece here, I think if I'm if I'm understanding it right, you were trying to connect that to John by talking in this way, not just directing our appetites, but trying to recraft who we are right. as people. And so maybe right. a little, little uh, Jamie Smith here, what we are, what we love sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, okay, so I had that book out. Um, is that fair? Yeah, no, I think it is. And I think um, when John starts verse 12 with whatever this is, whether it was a poem, a song, or maybe it's just John being poetic, whatever, whatever it is. Um, to the me- Father's the, children, father's right, children. Right, father's, father's, or children, fathers, young men, children, fathers, young men. Um, I found it helpful. I read a bunch of people who pulled it apart and connected it in this way and connected in this way. And I think there's probably some helpful stuff under there. But the thing that really struck home with me about it is taken in its totality, he is writing to a people to say at, you know, the, the entire, you as a, a body, children, fathers, young men, the, the, the whole sort of range of life, you know the father, you know his love, your sins are forgiven, and you, and John gets into this in our passage this week, but because you have embraced this one who is himself love, which he'll get into later in the book, none of this other stuff will ever do. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, right. the pride of possessions. You, you already know, you've already tasted forgiveness and, and you already know who him who is from the beginning. Jesus is what I was arguing that him who is from the beginning is not just God. It's actually Jesus going back to John 1 or 1 John 1. But to say that, to, to reconstruct their identity, to remind them, hey, you've actually experienced love in the ultimate way and in the ultimate form in Jesus. You've experienced God's love. You've met him face to face. He's forgiven your sins. Um, and this is what allows you, when you do and when you will experience the desires of the eyes and the desires of the flesh and the pride of possessions. Come back to this as your primary identity, that this love is bigger than that. And it's actually the love that doesn't pass away and leads you through this world that's passing away into eternal life. Uh, yeah, so so this, does. would you say then, I don't know that John's doing this, maybe you would say that he is, 
through this poetry, but but to reconstruct our identities, does that does that also reform our appetites? Does it mm. does it give yeah. them better better focus? Does it mm -hmm. does it make them um, more balanced or more life giving? Because I think appetites are the one thing that are so deadly. Yeah, they will steal from us. Um, you yeah. know, so many good things as we seek to to fulfill them, but. If we if we reconstruct our identities the way that John has just scribed this out as he's coming across the range of humanity, mm -hmm. um, does that then recraft our appetite? So that we, and and you even said this, which I think is helpful, not around this world but through it. Christ didn't mm -hmm. come around the mm -hmm. world; he came right. eating and drinking, as the Pharisees right. complained about. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really important thing: is that experiencing or tasting God's love as as is another you know, another way that it's put in the scriptures. Um, Paul uses that language. Um, that has to reform and reframe our appetites because it doesn't allow us, it's meant to, um, I think maybe um, I use the, oh, this was in another conversation. This wasn't a former podcast, but another conversation I was having offline, um, it refuses to um, make us content for the things that are, in other words, <clears throat> you, if you know that you have been loved in this way, if you've experienced this love, it changes what you're willing to be content with in a sense. And I think that has a lot of implications for our life in this culture. It has a lot of implications for our life in a world where we are constantly um, being asked to settle for um, certain things that actually do not give life. And we've mm -hmm. talked about that in other ways. But it has to be training our 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 taste buds in a sense. If if you were you know wisening up our palate for mm -hmm. what is actual actually the good stuff at one level. And I mean, I, isn't isn't it true? Isn't it true? I'm sorry, Luke, as you said yeah, that, no, I just no. want to direct it in one. Because isn't it true that our, our if if our palates and our taste buds are saying uneducated? I don't mean unsmart. I just mean not right. tempered by the spirit. Right. That that they can actually seek and find satisfaction in things that are not godly, mm -hmm. but then they're actually starting to find it in the things that are going away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where, where to refine the palate by, by God's work is to start to find satisfaction and joy in the very things that are themselves eternal mm -hmm. and permanent. Because I think a lot of times right. with sin, it's, it's, it's confusing because it actually does satisfy right. our taste buds. And then we, yeah. and then, like, isn't that what Eve says? Eve says, all of a sudden mm -hmm. she looked at the apple and it looked good for food. Mm -hmm. had, the, had the problem yeah, already occurred. Yeah, right, right. Return. Right, yeah, and I think um, what we're gonna talk about this coming week is that um, there is, <laughs> what John puts it, that there is this temptation for us to believe a lie. And I think that's that's part of what, we're sensing what we're talking about as far as a, a uh, an underdeveloped palate or something like that is right. part of it that goes into our uh, ability to or our our um, temptation to settle for a lie instead of the truth. And I hope that John says, um, "I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but 
because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So like to me, a really important part of growing up as Christians into deeper maturity into is, is to being a, is being able to know who the liar is and what are the contours of those lies that we tell ourselves or that are told to us by um, our culture or, or, or other places. And, um, and, and I think that's part of what it means to be growing up into maturity, uh, growing up to having a formed palate for not simply the things of this world, but to see mm -hmm. beyond them into mm -hmm. the world to come. And I think what I was going to say earlier was it's only that that allows us to live with such generosity, thanksgiving and open hands here is that, oh, this is passing away. So that means whatever's mine is passing away. Like what, whatever pride of possessions is not actually a way to live in reality. I, I wanted to talk a little bit last week. I didn't get to it, but, but about living in, in reality, like the reality is the world is passing away and it's giving away, it's giving way to God's kingdom in its fullness and, and, and all that. And I think that's a really helpful place to spend some time. Maybe we'll get to, as we talk about the liar and no lies of the truth, but. That's really, that's, yeah, that's really powerful stuff. I was talking with a friend this week who's really struggling and, um, and just this, this anxiety, yeah, that, that what I have and what I want is being taken away. And I, I, I don't know how long I can stand for that. And I was thinking, and, you know, of Jesus's uh, statement to John and Peter, when they said, well, what about us? We've given up so much for you. And he said, there's no one who hasn't given up family and house and land who won't get tenfold in my kingdom, mm. which sounds a little like it's, a, I don't know, almost like it's a, a payout. But yeah. I, I think I think the world changing view that that is, is to say, if you pursue in this world, those things for those reasons, you, you fall, you fall under the Ecclesiastes <laughs> condemnation that all you've yeah. done is chasing vapors, right. where to give those things up is just as you give them up for my sake. Um, then you'll find them is because he has every intention of loving us fully physically in his kingdom. Yeah. And he just wants us to have these tastes now so that we know and mm. feel and are driven towards that. It's just a totally different way of living. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think that's the thing that, which is why I was so eager, I think on Sunday to say the world passing away is probably the best news that you could hear is because all these things that uh, draw our hearts and all these things that um, are wrapped up into this world, whether there be beautiful things or awful things, uh, and I gave a list of some things, mm -hmm. whether they're beautiful or whether they're awful, they're, all of them are giving way to God's will, God's mm -hmm. will for his world and his people, which is to bless and be present and to do far beyond all that we're able to imagine. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's a really comforting thing, but that's, that's not what reality feels like to us right, right now. Sure. And so yeah. that's where it's really challenging. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's, but you, and you did say this, that this is a, you, this is a different way of looking at this, which I agree. I don't know that mm -hmm. I ever heard this growing up either is that the world passing away is hopeful Mm -hmm. um, not not in the sense that the good things that we have my children my family right. that those things but as those things are foretastes of fellowship with god those mm -hmm. things are eternal because he is 
but this construct of them and the way we have mm -hmm. them right now with their very immediate coming and going and you eat mm -hmm. something and it's gone, um, mm -hmm. that is passing away into something that's eternal. That's a, that's a powerful way of looking, I think, at our, our life experiences. Yeah, and you would never arrive at that except for the scriptures, except right. for, the, right. I mean, that, that's, right. that's, what, that's, what makes, that's what makes this a life of faith and that's what makes this such a challenging thing for us to continue to drill down into in in uh, a time and of course this has always been this is what Noah's generation did not grasp and it's the, what our generation is doing it, with different technology and with different things but it, it's impossible to look around and think that this is passing away and right. something is is going to be taking its place right right but that's but and it's interesting that you've gotten it's God has communicated through John John who is relying on his experience with Christ to tell us this is the fact. And mm -hmm. so it's not, it's not picked out of the blue. The Holy spirit is working through someone who's got a very visceral right. experience with this. Yeah. Peter says something very interesting. Similarly, after he, in, in his letter where he talks about when we saw the transfiguration, like he, I saw that with my own eyes, I'm mm -hmm. telling you. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's not an unsubstantiated faith, but it is in fact faith. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. not something that's no, just obvious. That's true. Um, and so, and, and so this maybe gets you at where you made this point towards the end that, um, that if to, to own this, to really say that we are living for, through this world into his kingdom, by his law, by his word, that this allows us to be self-sacrificing, where, yeah. where to pursue the appetites as ends in themselves, there's no yeah. other way but to become self-absorbed. Yeah. I mean, if you thought that these desires and the um, the mediated ability that we have to satisfy these desires, whether it's the lust of the flesh or the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh or the pride of life, pride of possessions. Um, if you thought that this was all there was, then you would certainly um, spend your life satisfying those. But because by the spirit, you have embraced this one who represents, I mean, and that's the interesting th thing about Jesus here. If what all John is talking about is don't walk away from Jesus, don't turn your back on Jesus. He is the one who proves in the flesh that God is doing all that he's promised to do in his world mm. through his death and resurrection. Like that is, he has broken the categories of human understanding and history by a death and resurrection. And, and if you walk away from that, then you have embraced this world as ultimate. But mm. if you cling to Jesus, then you are able to, because of your identity and all of that, you are able to live in this world with these radical self-loving God with all your heart and soul and might and loving your neighbor as yourself. You're able to do that because of death and resurrection has changed forever um, how we relate to the world. Well, so the that, world and that, that seems to inspire obedience with joyfulness um, mm -hmm. rather than what I think you and I, you had started talking about was my experience too, that sometimes Christianity has felt like this very heavy, rigorous do not list, which can be very intrusive and very, um, very detailed mm -hmm. um, rather than it's not the not doing of it. It's the why you do things that yeah. actually, and, and if that's the case, then as much enjoying something, and as you say, in fasting, as much giving it up can be done in joy, not because you enjoy it, 
right because it's done in the hope that and so therefore right. there's real joy there right yeah no i think that's true i mean it's like when you're a kid when you're a child i should say um your parents have to instruct you all the time not to spoil your dinner don't sacrifice <laughs> cheetos or or whatever it is and and fill up on that now and miss like what's really ultimately good for you mm -hmm. and as you grow you're able to understand oh i understand time in a different way this 45 minutes until dinner is ready that seems long but it doesn't feel like the six months that it felt like when i was nine <laughs> years old <laughs> you know <laughs> and all of that of course is sanctification and growth but yeah that's what that's what training in godliness and holiness uh, is is doing for us in a sense mm -hmm. yeah and so it is a reframing of our identity mm -hmm. a reframing of how we approach the world and ultimately as john's describing is love of god um well i mean the way christ is good love of god because god is love and then love of neighbor um is mm -hmm. to refashion it this way so yeah. it's a yeah it's a it's a whole revolution of how we see yeah. and engage the world and, and to see that as ultimate reality yeah. rather than what we see as ultimate reality and the way the world has worked that that is that's what faith is that's, that's what the faith. eyes of faith do that's what the spirit works Amen. in us to, to varying degrees and hopefully growing as we mature yeah and we've got and we've got a lot of examples of the faith christ himself is is the is the chiefest among them who right, were the right. father yeah right endure the cross yeah exactly and and yep that he is the one who had perfect faith and this yeah. is what happens to him and right. this is what's promised to you who will embrace that and cling mm. to that mm. uh so do you have any other other insights as you go into the next sermon on john first john are we into <laughs> chapter three or not yet no we're finishing 18 to through 27 um this this sunday and uh, what I want to talk about this Sunday, at least right now, in my notes, really heavy, is um, abiding in Christ. There's all of this language now, abide, so um, that what you are to do in light of all this is abiding in Christ. And and I think that's, I like to think of it in, I hate to be, I don't want to be dualistic, but I do think there's some things that John is doing that are really helpful here but it seems to me in verses 18 and following he talks about a lot about abiding in christ that uh, what you heard from the beginning abide in you let that abide in you and if you if that happens then you will abide in the son and in the father and at the very end of our passage for sunday he'll say um, but it, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you, abide in him. So that's kind of the thrust of the service. Sermon is abide in Christ. But what does that mean? And I think it's important. I, I'm beginning to see this, going back to that, those two options, like you can abide in a world that is passing away along with its desires, or you can abide in Christ and in the will of God, which itself abides forever. Mm. And um, when you abide in Christ, the promise that he's made to us is eternal life, uh, those sorts of things. So I want to really take some time to unpack what it means to abide in Christ, to put our life into 
the life of Christ, to find our life in the life of Christ rather than finding our life in the world, in these other, uh, other identities that we might find that, that is actually passing away. Which fits in, I think, almost under the umbrella of these larger concepts mm -hmm. you've, made out, you've laid out right. for us. And yeah, I think it'll be trying to extend and further that discussion that, okay, this isn't just about who wants to go to heaven and live with Jesus forever. Mm -hmm. um, this is actually about finding your life in the thing that is eternal life, or you can find your life in the thing that's passing away. Right, right. And these are two very different things. These right. are obviously, yeah. Very helpful and hopeful. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Luke. I uh, look thank forward you. to next week talking it over. I will, we'll see when yeah. I know you got GA next week. So, we'll... and, and, and thank you for being our most committed member who <laughs> even maybe not most committed, but at another church this past Sunday, right. and yet you watched the live stream so we could chat about uh, the sermon. No, I'm serious. Thanks, Dan, for yeah. uh, leading these good discussions and helping, helping us think through things uh, at, at, at a different level. Happy to do it. And this right. has been cross-reference. Thank you.